0: Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in.
1: Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of NextShift LLC, Imran Dishmuk. Against the backdrop of our everyday lives, we are only just touching on the vast potential of technology in the healthcare sector. Imran received his master's in electrical and computer engineering at Duke University, but it was his experiences working at the university medical center that gave him the insight that would guide him to where he is now. He saw the potential of a transition of healthcare for the better. Imran went on to numerous positions, furthering his skills over a few years. He eventually co-founded NextShift in 2013 as a testament to his vision for better healthcare based on technological innovation. Since then, the company has been emerging as a key player in the future of everything from clinical diagnosis to pharmaceutical research. Offering client-oriented solutions to some of the biggest healthcare companies in the world, NextShift is playing its part in synthesizing medicine and technology for a better, healthier world. NextShift LLC is growing like crazy. So, Imran, let's get to it, my man. Thank you for being here today.
0: Thanks, for Thanks for having me today.
1: Yes, sir. So tell us, how in the world did we get into this, this field? How do we, how, you know, what was the origin story of founding this company?
0: Sure. Um, so it all started, actually, when uh, my partner and I were working one of the uh, largest companies um, in the world in the pharmaceutical space, which is uh, Johnson & Johnson. Um, and we were there together um, as part of uh, one of their commercial IT divisions. Um, and uh, we always got along really well. Um, we, we worked together in quite a few projects and we always had a bug for innovation. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's was of the things that we we're always looking for opportunities when we we're working with our clients, with customers. Um, you know, those are mostly internal at that point, but also um, the ones that were outside um, and the kind of interactions we were having with them. And we we're always trying to find ways to innovate um, around that. And, you know, one thing or another in terms of conversation, where we felt like, you know, it was a good opportunity for us to shape that, um, you know, some of the things that we were trying to do in house and bring that to the rest of the industry um, and try to do some of the things that we're trying to do innovatively um, outside JJ as well, so that we could bring that across all the different players in the space. Because, you know, our innovations and the ideas we're coming with were not limited to simply. Um, you know, the pharmaceutical side, what we're seeing was this confluence of interaction between the healthcare providers, um, between the customers, these are the patients in this case, uh, and uh, the pharmaceutical manufacturers themselves. So for us to be able to sort of hit all those points together and also try to, you know, reach out to other folks in the industry and build that, you Know we needed to do something different, um, and outside of uh, the workplace, though we love working there, it was a, it has oh, always been a great place to work, but um, you know, it was an opportunity. We decided that we wanted to make the jump and we started next shift, um, you know, from that uh, purpose.
1: Awesome! Well, I know that in the intro, I, I said a lot of really smart technical things about your company, but I'm not that smart, so help me understand exactly what was the problem that you guys. We're noticing that you designed a solution for?
0: Um, so, uh, we're uh, primarily looking at problems um, at the interaction point between those uh, three players in the industry. And actually, there's a fourth player, which is the peer. So, the industry is quite complex, you know, healthcare, um, and it involves a lot of uh, communication between different providers, and each one has a different perspective of that communication. Mm. Um, and so, we were trying to solve for how that communication could be made more fluid um, overall uh, between all the players, um, so that the information that flew, so let's say from the went from providers to um, you know, patients who are you know, not necessarily the most, uh, um, you know, uh, prepared for receiving that kind of information. A lot of the times they're hearing these, some of these things for the first time um, and there is a life-changing things. So preparing them for making those adjustments, how that needed to be delivered um, and how to manage their life cycle around that communication over time, because it changes. um, You know, if someone is diagnosed with a condition, if you Mm. treat a certain condition, the kind of information they get, their ability to consume it, their ability to stay on path. um, You know, that was one of the bigger things. Um, and surrounding this are the, uh, you know, that relationship are the people in the industry side of things, which is, you know, the payer side of things, the people that actually, uh, you know, cover all the costs, um, and were incentivized to, you know, manage those, uh, better, um, and also incentivize better communication between providers and, uh, patients, because that helps you reduce, you know, uh, the overall healthcare costs, um, in the industry, um, you know, so it's a simple thing, but really that drives a lot of things, um, Yeah. Just kind information you're getting and being able to process it uh, well. Um, and then the other side of things are the pharmaceutical manufacturers who are producing you know, all the products that are servicing this market. And again, they're working in partnership with providers, they're working in partnership with payers to uh, serve the customers. So what we uh, feel, and all this has been the guiding goal for us is like, how do we make those, uh, the flow of information between all these players as smooth as possible, and what are the opportunities in the space that would help that? So sometimes it can involve two or three components. Sometimes it's just two parties. So maybe it is an interaction or a digital engagement platform between customers, um, that is the patients and the pharmaceutical manufacturer because they're producing the product, usually get prescribed on something, um, and then you know are responsible for you know managing and supporting those patients through the different parts of the system. Um, mm-hmm. The other side is providers, so uh, who are also supporting patients um, and then payers also supporting patients. So um, some of our projects that we take can be uh, connecting two parties. So it's a project that covers um, a communication platform or an engagement experience that is about uh, uh, a relationship between a payer and a, a consumer uh, versus, you know, sometimes it can be about pharmaceutical manufacturers and a consumer. In some cases, we might have three players where we're, we have a healthcare provider that is working with a pharmaceutical company, um, in some regard, like, you know, clinical research experience or something like that with patients. Um, so those are the kind of projects we always look for, like, where are we innovating in those spaces and where are the opportunities for changing that for the better?
1: Cool. Uh, I love that. So let me ask you this. Did you, did you ever expect that you were going to be an entrepreneur and start your own company? Was that like a lifelong dream? I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, or was that actually kind of a surprise twist in your your how you thought your career would go?
0: Yeah, so um, I I came from a, like a long background in healthcare, um, uh, but you know I also had a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit. Like I always, um, uh, technology has always fascinated me, um, and technology changes rapidly, and there's always Opportunities um, in you know the space, um, and some of those opportunities are not necessarily you know maybe not time rightly sometimes because the market is not ready for it or yeah. technology isn't quite there to make that experience as good enough. But I did actually dabble a couple of times in sort of you know side projects to see where they went prior to this. So it was a bug that I always had, um, and just the timing seemed right in this case. Um, I think in prior. Experiences, I necessarily didn't have the right mix of a, a partner that uh, you know had that depth and had the, you know, the connections um, that we needed uh, to make um, or you know it was just too early that space. but I sort of always intended to at some point do it. it might have been at a different point in time uh, than I had anticipated.
1: Also- yeah. For this one, what went in, what was involved in the decision making process for, for you to, to say, I do think this timing is there. I do think this is something I want to pursue and take that leap. What did that look like for you?
0: Um, so we were going through a lot of transitional things in the industry. Um, we see, and actually, you know, it's been uh, 10 years on and we still continue to see that. Uh, but we repeatedly ran into, you know, technology uh, that was outdated and people were really trying to change that at that point. So this is about the time when, you know, mobile had really started to take on. Um, and i had been involved in a couple of projects along with my partner in bringing the, you know, and bringing some of the mobile healthcare experience uh, platforms um, and building some of that for uh, the company that we're working with, which is Johnson & Johnson. And so that, that felt like a good transition point. And actually mobile is really where we felt like, you know, because it was in your pocket, it's a portable sure. uh, good sort of inflection point to, for technology versus everything else that had happened before. I'd actually been part of, a lot of technology transition right prior to that, uh, where we were looking at old systems and really trying to fix the user experience on the systems because they were never really designed Yeah, The first wave of systems were very functional, like CRM, Uh, was very functional, you know, it got the job done, but it wasn't necessarily the best experience for the users, um, which was the field force in this case. Um, There were other things like, you know, web was really starting to mature out at this point, Uh, but then, you know, the advent of mobile devices that was changing also. So those experiences were, so it felt like that point of disruption had hit where if you were trying to do something new, Um, in using, leveraging this, you know, emerging platform that it would, you know, help us grow. Um, Sure, would not have been the long term necessarily uh, the platform that stayed because technology changes constantly and what the focus is changes. But um, it was a good point for us to decide that there was opportunity. There was a general uh, gap in skill um, in, you know, healthcare plus doing mobile with healthcare. Uh, because it was still quite early on, and healthcare moves slowly, right? You know, it's always like three to five years behind, you know, consumer technologies' version. Sure. So um, it, it felt like a good inflection point at that point. That you know, here was a new emerging technology platform. We knew the problems were there, and you know, how could we solve it in the context of this? But there was also a skill and a knowledge gap on the technology side um, to bring those platforms to it.
1: Sure, sure. Now, did you guys choose to bootstrap this or go out and raise capital for it?
0: Uh, bootstrapped it completely. Wow.
1: <laughs> so wow. we
0: are uh, conservative with uh, you know this is one of the things I think why we've <laughs> managed to make it out of this survival phase <laughs> um, is you know we've been um, you know very good with you know that uh, in terms of like managing our cash flow um, effectively. Um, so that we're always looking at expansion from that. You know how much cash we have, getting to the levels, you know, and being patient about it over time. Because yeah. I think that you learn that you don't expect uh, was is that you know things take time and just you know not and always take the long view. I mean, it's a common, uh, maybe it's a cliche, but you
1: know,
0: no, you gotta, no, like that always helps. You gotta take the long view because nothing happens quickly, <laughs> particularly when we operate in a regulated, compliant industry like healthcare. Like, you, know, you, you gotta have patience, the sales cycles are long um, and you know, you know, technology ad- adoption is obviously conservative because they're dealing with a regulated environment. But, uh, you know, so we bootstrapped it because we knew that it was going to be long and we weren't sure like if an investment would necessarily last through and we would have the investor pressure to you know, maybe quit early. Uh, Love that. Yep. Something that we decided not to, um, you know, take on initially, just bootstrap, started with, you know, one company, one client, and then moved on from there.
1: Man, um, man, well done, especially with as, as much technology as, as, go, as into your product. You typically see people lean towards the the raising the capital to be able to fund the, the R&D and the, you know, getting the tech just right and all that kind of stuff. But man, you guys figured out a way to do that on your own is, is really impressive. So tell me about those first few years of, you know, survival, you know, how w- characterize, what was it like for you guys in those first few years as a company?
0: Um, so, I mean, honestly, it was, it was never easy. I think this is a part of the journey. Maybe sometimes it's not necessarily highlighted, but you know, there are points in that point where we were, you know, trying to find our first customers. customers. Yeah. We actually did, uh, pretty well because we started with the customer. Like that was the other sort of inflection point because we knew we had someone that we could uh, you know, work with. Um, and we actually started just the two of us, you know, um, first doing you know, independently consulting uh, for and outside firm. And it was really just uh, myself and my partner Rob were um, there and I was um, you know, doing actually a lot of the technology implementation myself till we found our first hires. So, you know, I'm, you know, I continue to do development. Um, it's just a thing I practice and I'm very passionate about. And, sure. you, know, you know, both the CTO um, the, and the founder, it's important to keep up with those things. Uh, but even early on, I did some of that till we got to our first hire as we were building things out. Um, and we did have a client uh, that we were building stuff for. So we actually started um, in a service capacity Trying to build a platform for uh, you know another company, um, and a lot of the technology pieces that uh, we needed to build, you know, initially were built by me, um, and a lot of like the uh, the experience pieces, the business component of it, uh, you know, was contributed to by my partner Rob. So between the two of us, we found like you know it was it, it's just two people really. Um, yeah. Um, and then you know within about. Um, I'd say a year. Uh, we actually started to scale up. We had hired um, a couple of folks, um, and we had a mixed model. So we had, uh, you know, a lot of the work that I was doing, and then we actually hired um, you know, people out of um, uh, India, and that was a part of our, uh, you know, sort of offshore offering. Because one of the things we realized early on was that we needed to balance those, because in technology, particularly, uh, you know, there's you know, general global shortage of talent. So we didn't really want to be limited to a particular geography right from the get-go. So we've been, actually the pandemic has made us realize how good we've done at being remote because we've been remote for the last eight years. Yeah. Uh, But um, uh, we started, you know, very small um, and then built the first platform. Um, Just a few people really, uh, you know, myself and a couple of others um, and then Rob together. Um, and then you know once that succeeded um, that actually formed the core of our annual revenue um, to allow us then to hire more folks um, and start building I'd say the first couple of years the growth was actually you know um, you know interesting because it happened you know at a fairly slow pace um, till we hit uh, a point where uh, we, we got a particular deployment or a project that allowed us to really scale up and so we went from, you know, thinking about cash flow, you know, in smaller, you know, uh, you know, durations of time um, into, you know, okay, now, now we have cash flow that will sustain us. So now we can, you know, hire more, build more um, and, you know, try to always uh, scale up that way. So that's how we bootstrap and we started. With,
1: wow.
0: Got that Got success, got that into a returning, you know, recurring revenue. Then expanded, built the next level, and then you know, bootstrapped our way to where
1: we. Uh, yeah, yeah. What was the, what was the hardest part about that initial launch phase? That trying to get to that first big customer where you can scale—not your first customer, but you mentioned right where you noticed a real turning point. Before that, what was the hardest part in your mind for you uh, in those early kind of survival days?
0: I think one of the. Uh, the biggest challenges when you start is, I mean, we did have some like, uh, you know, people that we talked to who were like mentors um, who had, had uh, you know, successful companies and exits that we knew from our, you know, past work life. Uh, so that was helpful. Um, but I think the biggest challenge was that, you know, the time expectation when you start is very different. And that's something I think, um, you know, you know, it's maybe a surprise to most new founders, you know, when you build something uh, and you produce something that you you know is obviously going to be innovative, it's, you know, it's going to be something that people, when they have it, will actually value it, it'll be transformative for them. It's sort of, you know, easy to expect that it's going to happen quickly. Yeah you know, at least in our experience, and I I suspect for most people that rarely happens. Like it it is the initial parts are always slow. So knowing that would have been, you know, a key thing because it was hard. Like we were managing the capital, we were managing it well, but it was always, okay, you know, are we gonna make it to the point where we can break out of the cycle um, and get to the point where we will have that breakthrough and then we can sustain this business. So I think, you know, just, maintaining the stress <laughs> levels when you're going through that cycle is yeah. so, um and waiting you know and having the patience to get to that breakthrough point.
1: Absolutely man the patience, you know, the patience and persistence that's required is unreal. It feels like if someone had told you before you started, you might not have started, right? And then you're in there and you believe in what you're doing. But it's still not there yet. It still hasn't got adopted yet by enough customers to prove your idea, right?
0: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that is sort of the biggest challenge, like because when you believe in the product, you find it hard to almost uh, you know see you know under, try to understand really why. Yeah. actually is <laughs> not happening, but I think over time you realize that it's really sometimes it's not about the product at all, you know? It's the environment that you operate in and sometimes it can be that you're too early. uh, The market isn't ready for you. Um, And surviving the early phase is actually, you know, I don't know, to some extent is about a lot about timing. (laughs) I think the opportunity and the timing is so important uh, because you might have the right product but the market isn't quite ready for you because maybe they're going through a change themselves at that point. Um and you know that transition, you just have to wait out that transition. Um and when that transition is done, then the market will be prime for you and you make it to that point. And just having the patience and the persistence to survive till the market is either ready for you or you try find the fit. Yeah. That's something you have to also adjust, you know, finding your fit. Uh, yeah, were
1: the- there any were there any kind of key like pivots or changes to the product that happened? Uh, as you were actually getting in contact with the with the customers or people you were trying to serve versus what you had in mind when you first set out were there or were you basically like the, yeah the, the product and service I foresaw was exactly what we deliver today
0: um so I think you know because we were heavily sort of uh, you know I guess we we actually started fronted uh, so we had a platform so we actually don't have like a product like you can just turn on um, I gotcha it's a platform product. So you got to bring the platform product in-house and you got to make a few, you have to make a few customizations on that product so that it is usable for you. So it's it's actually uh, a little more technical product at least at the onset, because you have to be able to do the customizations you need. Um, and that's something we continue to use right now because we work with large enterprises. And sure. what we find is that when you just ship off the shelf, uh, whatever it is, you know, you end up making no one happy. Like no one is happy with the product. So we actually scale that back um, to where we feel like, uh, we, you know, our messaging that we have a platform solution um, that is designed with an enterprise platform um, from the get-go. So when we sell it to you, it's not like we're selling you a one-off thing that you're gonna use in one place. Uh, we want you to think about how this is gonna be used across your enterprise in different parts of your business. And that's why we sell it as a platform because then that 20% extra that you need to customize across your different businesses allows you to use one platform offering that then can be tweaked um, to suit the needs uh, without having to force your workflow and how you're doing things into the product rather leave the product open um as you know and open to customization so that uh, we can uh, you know we can best meet you know the customer where they are rather than the other way around
1: totally makes sense now let me ask you about the company itself what has that been like for you what has the journey been like to hire people to put together teams to develop a culture like talk to me about that what's that journey been like
0: um so you know, hiring in a technology landscape is difficult. I mean, there's just no easy way to do it. Um, I I think there is, uh, you know, always pressure on talent and talent, you know, and there's a ton of opportunity generally, but that doesn't mean that we don't uh, have, you know, a lot of people applying. I mean, we do get a lot of applications, but finding the right sort of people has been, you know, and actually this is one of the continuing challenges uh, that we have um, as we grow is trying to find the right sort of people. And we have a, you know, a unique, um, you know, somewhat, I wouldn't say proprietary, but we buck the industry trend at every time in terms of how people were doing hiring. Um, and, um, you know, generally that has led us to two things. One is that we hire people that, you know, are uh, fairly broad and can move as the technology shifts um, and also tend to be, um, you know, very you know, culturally good for us. So we're very soft culture generally. <laughs> um, you know, we like you know people that are you know, you know, collaborative, friendly, um, and um, you know they're you know they have a good work ethic. I mean, those are some of the basic things. But a lot of times, you know, uh, it's not just purely performance. The performance is a part of it. Um, yeah, but we don't want people that are so focused on performance that they don't they don't notice the people around them. Sure. Um, you know, they're open to helping others and supporting others um, as they themselves are developing. Because for us, you know, that's the sort of culture we have. Like, uh, you know, even right now, now when we get a question, we're very open as partners to the people that are working for us. I mean, anyone can email us and we are all on messaging. So people can interact with us directly. And so that's the kind of culture we wanna have. So finding people that are, you know, both, very skilled, um, are open-minded because they can, you know, see that, you know, as technology shifts around them, they might need to shift. Um, so they need to be quite open-minded, uh, yeah. to-
1: adaptable,
0: to be adaptable. Yes. Um, and then, you know, also fit in our sort of, you know, I guess what I call it, you know, soft culture, because it is, you know we're you know you know generally very really polite, very amicable, yeah, I mean, and some of that may come from you know the companies that we came from. Like you know, uh, particularly Gen had a very similar culture, and we really uh, you know overall like that culture. So we're trying to balance that in a small company. So we're trying to find people that have that holistic you know ability to you know be communicative. I mean they have to be confident communicative, but it's not to the point where you know it's disruptive to everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Sort of the kind of people that we're looking for. So finding that mix has been, sometimes we get people that are really sharp, uh, but may not fit from a cultural perspective. And sometimes if they fit is there in culture, but we don't feel like, you know, they have the technical aptitude. What we don't necessarily look for particular, though we do, I mean, depending on skills, we look for the skills we need, Uh, but we're always looking for the ability to change um, and being to, you know, to be able to look at opportunity from an open-minded perspective, versus like, oh, that's not something you know I've done before. I'm not, I'm not interested. Having never done it before, um, so so, able, uh, so you're
1: actually looking for somewhat of a generalist versus like a too narrow of a specialist, so that they can actually adapt and change and and, and learn new technology as it's advancing. Is that kind of right?
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I and mean, we're looking for good technical aptitude almost always. Yeah. Uh, it may not necessarily be in the exact thing that we're looking for, but you know, the basics of technology, even though, you know, to consumers seem constantly changing the fundamentals are what have been there forever. Um, and as long as you have a strong understanding of those and you have a strong passion for it and you're you know, willing to learn new things, um, then, you know, you know, technical aptitude will carry you along, you know, long way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now in terms of building that culture, One, I'm curious why you call it soft culture. Is that in terms of like soft skills or are you thinking of a different uh, connotation of soft? And then two, apart from hiring the right people or the people that would already value that, what have you guys done to kind of promote and propagate that culture as you've grown?
0: Um, so I guess uh, yeah, maybe soft is maybe not the most uh, appropriate. I don't know. There's no quite way to describe it. I guess it's a very friendly, collaborative culture. Uh, yeah. But you know, it's not uh, to the point where it is. You know, um, I guess um, I guess we're not. I mean, even though we are like very performance-driven, like we look at performance. Uh, we're also very really forgiving in terms of, you know, generally, if you're, you know, if they're, you know, we're very accommodating. So we you know, we balance work-life culture really well. Um, and soft in the sense that, uh, I guess, we expect that the interaction between humans, yeah, uh, you, you're always paying attention to uh, others around you. Yeah. Uh, are, so I guess in terms of soft skills, but not in the soft skills sense that, you know, we're looking for someone that's good at, you know, Necessarily being a stellar communicator. Sure, okay? sure. But that, not that kind of soft skills. It's about realizing that you're working with people, and uh, you know you treat them like the way you would treat uh, you know friends, and you know approach them with considering their feelings and how they're gonna be, and it's not very you know abrupt or you know right because sometimes you feel like in technical organizations you can get too you know aggressively tied to the technology and yeah. Uh, because that's the only way to do it but we don't feel like that's necessarily uh, always the best part.
1: let's try on the word relational instead of soft you have a very relational culture right
0: <laughs>
1: so how have you guys gone about uh and int- have you done anything to kind of intentionally promote or uh see that culture grow
0: yeah so i mean generally is hiring right that is very important sure. because change the nature of people. I mean you, you can train them to do other things, but you cannot change uh, who people are. So I think hiring people that fit uh, that mold itself, you know, gets us a long way because we don't really have to, uh, you know, train them to be that way, like in the you know the relational aspect. Um, but for us, I think, you know, internally it's about, you know, making sure that everyone on the team is communicating, I think, well. Um, setting an example as leaders in the way we communicate uh, with people um, and setting some ground rules for how that communication must occur but you know I don't know if you've done anything really consciously like targeted because to some extent as I said earlier it's you know it's about you know if you're if you're inherently the kind of person that understands that From the get-go there's not you know not a lot of you know training to be done to meet that if you don't typically you won't be a fit anyways um for us but yeah i mean i think as leaders setting that example like how about how we communicate uh with our um with our employees with all the team members that we have uh making sure that we're always open to ideas and reflecting through our leadership how uh they must you know how the what the expectation of behavior is for and, sure you know, if there's any sort of feelings of um, as a culture we also have it very open that if there, anyone feels like um, uncomfortable about anything um, they're you know free to uh, have the conversation with their colleagues or come to us and have a conversation about that and we always are open to doing that um, and they know that we're genuine about it and I think that has been an important part of maintaining that culture because it's not something where you know it's not, you know, a thing we put on a mission statement and then just forgotten about. We sort of reflect that in everyday interactions across our team, and we try to make people that are part of diverse, you know, they're working with different clients, you know, connect with each other. There are skills that one might have that they can assist someone else with. So we promote that culture of assisting and collaboration actively, um, so that they have opportunity to support others, um, and then you know, it flows in all directions uh, across the team
1: love that now i'm curious for for where you guys are currently as a company what's the biggest challenge that you guys are facing is it uh scale is it growth of leaders is like what what would you say as the founders on your mind at this stage of the company
0: um so for us you know we actually um, diversified over time um so we do have you know we started with you know some of our platforms work um, and we've uh, diversified into technology services like augmentation um, where we found that because we do so much hard engineering in-house that we have a lot of depth um, in engineering um, that is missing um, on where they may not be interested in a specific part or a platform, but they're looking to build something internally um, and they have a gap in that uh, technology particularly. So we're actually providing consulting in that particular technology space um, that is an advanced technology um, at that point in time. I mean, it's constantly shifting. And we were very big uh, from the mobile stage. We moved actually to the whole cloud transformation uh, when that happened, um, cloud engineering. Uh, We're working a lot in data science and and production cloud engineering together and the confluence of that now. Um, And so because we do that both on a platform side, um, and we're doing it on a consulting sort of services side. Um, that's, you know, something that we continue to grow. Um, I think for us, they, <laughs> the biggest challenge, is, you know, from the beginning and continues to be is finding the talent uh, that has that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, that aptitude to deal with some of these problems because um, the way, you know, we compete in that space is, you know, because the space is, you know, quite uh, price competitive, we cannot compete at that level as a company, you know, we're not looking to compete with like the Infosys, TTS, you know, where they're doing some of these larger um, initiatives. Sure. Uh, we're trying to look for, you know, the most, you know, advanced technical problems that exist where, you know, we're ahead of the curve uh, in that sense to try to address those problems and have the talent that can deal with those problems, um, you know, a- as we see them. Um, and that becomes a differentiator because, you know, the talent that you need to either groom or to hire, to serve that need, um, has to be a certain type, which we find that others are lacking or mm. are not. for.
1: Totally makes sense. All right. One more question before we get into our lightning round, what do you personally enjoy most about the seat you get to sit in that founder seat, that CTO seat, what do you enjoy most about, about your job?
0: Um, so I think that, you know, the, firstly, I love working with all the people, like hiring, you know, uh, all, I, I, every, it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's like finding a gem every time I find a person that uh, I like to, I, you know, I know that we're going to like to work with um, that is part of the team. Like it's all this, I've never lost that passion where, I, you know, I come across someone and I still do a lot of like the technical hiring and the final uh, interviews and such. So it's always great to meet that person where you can see the potential that they're going to have um, in you know in your company and be able to support them so that that i mean i still continue to enjoy that a lot um you know meeting those people um and then grooming them because you can see them flourish over time um uh, you know inside the company so i think you know teaching them you know you know i'm always open to sharing knowledge and um, so, you know, I'm working quite closely with uh, some of these folks on, on the technology side of things. So being able to, you know, um, you know I guess groom them and see them grow is a, is a great uh, place to be from, you know, from a CTO uh, position. I think the other uh, thing is, you know, because we work across so many diverse clients is being able to see The landscape from the outside across different parts of the industry and being able to see it in a holistic view that we can make connections that if you're working in a particular vertical or a particular part of a problem you're not able to see because that's the only part you're solving uh, by the nature of where you are Um, and so being able to see across the technology landscape across different parts of it and being able to make those connections i think is another thing i really enjoy about uh, that
1: that creative innovative part of you right yeah Yeah, that's awesome okay cool well man this has been awesome let's dive into our lightning round questions we're going to start with question number one these are five questions that we've asked every founder that's been on here uh number one what if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization what would it be um
0: just you know be open to opportunities because you never know you know what path is going to lead to success
1: love it question number two what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also, what was the worst?
0: Um, the best one is focus your energies, know where you're going, mm. uh, and make sure that you know, you're you know you focused on that as much as you can be. I don't think I've really received bad advice to this point, thankfully. <laughs> so there's no real worst advice um, that I can talk to.
1: Fortunate for you. <laughs> All right, question number three. What causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization?
0: Um, you know, continuing to find and retain good people is the biggest uh, because we are such a people company. Um, I think that is the biggest one, like making sure that we continue to hire the kind of people that we're looking for and then continue to retain them.
1: Totally makes sense. Especially with, I imagine the, the high, the, the job offers they might be able to get that, from a huge company that can pay more off the bat, or something like that, is that is that kind of one of the threats to retaining people?
0: We actually pay very well. <laughs> that is not the, so. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. It's just I think I've uh, not lost many people, so maybe retain retention is less of a problem. Yeah, uh, but it is about uh, you know there's always you know opportunity that other people are looking at, and yeah.
1: Sometimes
0: territory. So um, I think it's really the hiring side of things, making sure that we can hire the best people, and that. We continue to do that because that is part of the success of our company.
1: Makes sense. Okay, number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for this company?
0: Um, So I think for us, it is to scale our platform. So we're launching a couple of new platforms uh, this uh, year and into next year. Um, And so for us, it is basically growing all those two platforms to the point where they represent, you know, You know, they almost flip the business (laughs) um, and represent, you know, maybe a double or triple what we're making right now in the next few years um, and allow us the opportunity to do that because we feel like they are also transforming into the particular part of the industry that we're tackling.
1: Cool. That's exciting. Okay. Question number five. This is our fun creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean and go back to the past and you get to just tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by. When would you go back? And what would you tell that younger version of yourself?
0: Well, that would be the first couple of years. And, you know, it's what I, I could write at the beginning. It's like, things are going to take time. Be patient because uh, everything we're having is going to take time. So all always take the long view of things and, you know, uh, just be patient. I mean, that is the, because it would cause me a lot less stress. Back then. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, right. Awesome, well, man.
1: Uh, it's such a good message especially if you're if you're listening right now and you're in those early years just relax you got to find some patience or you're going to kill yourself striving to get there faster right oh man Imran this has been awesome man thank you for taking time on your Friday to come here share your story your wisdom uh, it's been it's been really exciting and, and fun to hear so thank you for making time for this
0: yeah thanks for having me uh, yes sir founders thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.